hello all welcome to another episode of direct shift stories and uh, today we have uh, one of our special guests dr najman riaz who is a psychiatrist mental health coach uh, who is also a writer and speaker um, uh, Dr. Najman Riaz uh, had allowed me to use her first name. So thank you so much, uh, uh, Najman. So she, she had been practicing uh, psychiatry for over 23 years. Um, she worked in private and academic settings. She had been treating uh, clients with uh, psychiatric disorders, um, addiction issues, be it uh, anxiety, depression to trauma. So for all the frontline workers or for employees who are working in the healthcare world, be it in terms of uh, healthcare staffing, recruitment, or uh, for the general public too. Uh, this being um, a uh, mental health awareness month. In fact, uh, there was mental health action day, which happened on 20th of May. Let's talk or let's hear from um, Dr. Najman Riaz. Uh, on what exactly uh, is mental health awareness? How do we create um, or overcome uh, the stress which is there in our work from home lives, what's affecting the trauma, uh, how do we deal with pandemic parenting for all the healthcare workers, again, for all the clinicians out there who are on our platform. This would be an awesome uh, resourceful uh, podcast for next 30 to 45 minutes. And uh, I, I, I invite uh, Sneha, one of our colleagues uh, to uh, take over from here. Welcome, Dr. Najman Riaz. Thank you so much. Thank you, Raj. I appreciate you having me, and I would love to, you know, help uh, individuals as much as I can. This is a tough time, so anything that can help people out there. Thank you. Welcome to our show, and um, yeah, so since it's Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, could you please tell us what your, uh, what, uh, your definition of mental health is and what it means to you? Well, yes, Neha, you know, it's, um, I think this pandemic has taught us many things. The most important thing I feel this pandemic taught us is how important it is for us to take care of our mind, of our thoughts, of our thinking, of our behavior. I know prior to this pandemic, everyone was just so busy in this rat race. We're all so busy in, you know, being successful, getting great jobs, we are pressurizing our children to get great grades, headed for awesome colleges. We take travel vacations. We go join expensive gyms and we want our bodies to be fit and perfect. We look for that amazing and awesome dresses, which are like the best in the town, that beautiful jewelry. So we were all so busy having fun up until this pandemic shook all of us. You know, Sneha, we humans, we have an innate, we just have this innate feeling or an instinct to control things. We want to control stuff in our lives. We want to control our environment. But when some things happen in this world, they teach us that in reality, how little control we have. And that pandemic is what taught us that. Because we lost control, we, I mean, the virus, we couldn't see it. It affected us in so many ways. It made us sick. No matter how hard we tried to maintain social distance, put a mask, but it affected us. And you're seeing even now in India how serious this virus is, how it is um, making people 
children, adults, families devastated. And same mm-hmm. thing happened with the entire world. So we humans got this lack of control, this loss of control. And what did it do to us? It created a state of frenzy. It created an enormous state of stress. We were so scared for our lives. And for a little moment, we forgot about how beautiful our homes are. What are we going to eat for dinner? What jewelry am I going to get? What outfit am I going to wear? And all of a sudden, we started paying attention to our bodies. And we noticed that what is happening inside us. So it sort of gave us a little more awareness. Um, and in fact, that is an answer to your question, is that is what your mind is. That's what your mental health is. Your mental health is how you perceive things, how you behave, how you act, how you react to disappointments, to um, challenges that life can throw at you. Um, So I think when things are going okay, we're probably okay, but it's important that we be prepared when things do not go okay, when things are not going well. And I think that's that time it's really important to look at our own mind, at our mental health, um, you know, to to have healthy coping skills, to understand Mm -hmm. what is important in our lives, to prioritize things so that next time any such thing like a pandemic happens, we will be prepared. Next time we have a, a sickness of a child, a grief in our family, a loss of a job, we will be able to handle it in a better way. So I'm happy that May is the mental health awareness and I think this is a chance and the time for us to speak to folks that, hey, taking care of your bodies is good, but you just have one mind. And that mind is where all your information is, who you are, how you, as I said, how you react, how you respond, how, what is your personality? How do you set up goals? What do you want for your family? How, how do you interact with your spouse, your children? Um, I mean, it, it's just that little computer inside your body that has all your information. So why would you not want to take care of that? Um, so absolutely, yes. And um, today should be a mental health day and we should do That's the most simplistic and one of the beautiful ways uh, uh, which you have put it, uh, Dr. Riaz. Uh, again, thank you, Najman. Uh, that's, that's awesome. That's uh, probably a short crash course on what mental health means. Uh, and uh, probably a child can easily understand that, be it a five-year-old or a 90-year-old can easily um, will be able to digest what you have uh, mentioned. In fact, many people think mental health is all about uh, pumping in some music or uh, playing rock music or dancing or probably just going on a vacation or a long drive, but those are all the uh, probably kind of activities, but we'll hear more of what you mentioned. Uh, But before uh, Sneha, um, shoots uh, another question to you. I just wanted to know how did your journey begin? I mean, uh, you come from the uh, healthcare field. Uh, you've been a doctor from Kashmir, India. So could you please share us your journey? Um, probably what um, Najmun had done during her schooling, what made her uh, shift her career uh, into uh, becoming a doctor why not uh, become another uh, author? Uh, I, I understand that you're a writer, speaker, uh, being a physician, but could you please share us your journey uh, from being a child to what you are today uh, uh, with, in terms of 
being a physician? Sure, yeah. Well, thanks, Raj. I don't get to ask that question that much, you know, and I'm also a little bit of an introvert, but, you know, through my blogs, I have actually shared a lot about my personal life, about my personal journey. And, and I think I really feel like as a psychiatrist, if we're not able to show our clients, our human side, and show them that we have ups and downs and we have challenges, then I think, you know, we may not be setting some good examples. So yeah, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. As you know, I was born and raised in Kashmir. And, you know, Kashmir, it's just this gorgeous, beautiful place. And throughout my childhood, things were really well in Kashmir. We all used to live there was diversity, you know, we had pundits or the Hindus and, and Muslims and Sikhs and everyone lived with love. And, uh, and uh, I mean, there was so much of affection between every single community. I'll give you a little example of my childhood. My best friend was a Hindu. We both used to go and sit in a school bus and we used to reach a little hill. On the hill, on the top of the hill was a temple. And on the bottom of the hill, was a, a Sufi mosque. And both of us, when we would reach, when the bus would go through that spot, both of us closed our eyes. My Hindu friend would hold her hands and she would pray to the temple. And wow. I, being a Muslim, used to hold my hands like this. And I would pray to God and we probably prayed to the same God but I prayed when I reached to that mosque. And this was our amazing connection that she and me had that every single day in the morning, the bus would, school bus would go through that spot and we both prayed in that particular moment. I mean, that connection is amazing. And it was so sad when there was the, you know, the, the Hindus left the, the state and some of our best friends and some of our teachers left the state. It was a very painful moment for both of us. And both of us struggled and suffered in our own way. Both of us have trauma in our own way. And you know, this has been one of my dreams that maybe someday we can reconnect and hear each other with no judgment and just empathize with each other. But that was just like a short story I just shared with you from Kashmir. But yeah, Raj, I wanted to become a doctor right from the get-go since I was a preschooler. And I don't know why it was just something that I always wanted to do. I used to play as a little girl and pretend that I have a stethoscope and I'm writing prescriptions and giving away medications. So we used to do that role-playing as, as little children. But uh, as I grew up and I went to med school, um, my, uh, my first um, priority or rather my, my passion was to become a surgeon. And I, I just was this a little bit of an overachieving kid and I wanted to get the job done. So surgery was something that used to give me a lot of pleasure because you know, you would just like cut the gallbladder and the person would be all good and <laughs> him up and it was all done. And now that I came to America, my husband is an, he's an interventional cardiologist and he's a very good ah. Okay. So I, my daughter and I knew that, you know what, I wanted to be there for my child. Um, and now I had two options. I had to find this right sort of a work-life balance. And I said, okay, it's going to be either psychiatry or pathology. I didn't want to handle the dead people. So I said, I'm going to do the psychiatry. And Rod, this is funny. As I started doing psychiatry, my listening skills were very poor. Because I was that girl, remember, who just wanted to get the job done, cut the stuff, suture it up. <laughs> and as I'm doing psychiatry, 
all I'm doing is asking uh, my other colleagues say, do you need a blood draw for a patient? So we just go from a patient to patient and do the blood draw. And that just to give me a sense of like, oh, I did something. But over a period of time, the psychiatry taught me something that I'm so uh, thankful for, for my profession. It really taught me the power of listening because I just had to do nothing, sit there in front of the patient and listen to him listen and empathize without saying much. And, uh, and that was just one of the magical things and something I'm really truly indebted with. Um, I'm still working on it. There are still moments that I notice that I will jump in and try to give advice to my patients because that surgeon is still inside me. But I try my best to back off, try to stay silent, try to listen. And this listening power and being a psychiatrist, learning how to empathize with my patients also helped me to become a better person, become a better mom, a better wife. So wow. I'm thankful. Kind of like uh, a short documentary, uh, <laughs> like a small journey as to, I don't know if it was your parents uh, who pushed you to become a physician, but again, uh, thank you for sharing about um, uh, this particular story, uh, right from uh, your um, friend from school uh, to your husband being an intervention cardiologist. I guess, again, mostly it's our family members or it could be our grandparents. It could be somebody from the family who push you to become what you are in life. Um, but thank you. Over to you, Sneha. Uh, yeah, since we're talking about journeys, uh, uh, so do we? Do you think that mental health is a goal or a fight? destination that can be achieved and it's like a one or done thing or is it like a continuous journey throughout our lives? Yes, Neha, I wish, I mean, I sometimes feel like mental health should be a goal, but it truly is a journey. When I mean goal, mm -hmm. I can't have a goal that, okay, I am like in one year, my mental health is going to be perfect. No, but when I mean a goal means like to care or my mental health is going to be my goal. And I think if we as individuals can have this goal every single day, like if every single day at the end of the day, if we can take a moment and just do a little bit of a self-talk and say, what did I do today for my mind? Did I take care of my mind? Did I take a break? Did I overstress myself? Did I put too much on my plate? Was I mindful? Was I grateful for things I have? And if so, what can I do tomorrow to take better care of my mind? So it should be a goal every single day, but it's going to be your journey. But almost till the day you die, it is your journey to take care of your health, your physical health, your, your loved ones, to learn from different experiences, to get up from your failures, from your disappointments, um, and be kind to yourself. It is your journey. So yes, it's a, both a goal and a journey. So yeah, and um, the, on your website, I was uh, looking through it and there's a video series on stress management. And in it, you mentioned a switch for stress in our brains. Uh, can we speak more about that? Yes, you know, this is my favorite part. <laughs> I volunteer um, as a coach counselor for a IT company. 
I mean, they have branches in different parts of the world, uh, but uh, because they're computer guys. So I was always kind of trying to, um, to, to teach them about stress and about the brain in the form of a computer. Because I tell you, I mean, truly your brain is really a computer. There are chips for every little thing. I mean, I'll give you an example. When a person is under anesthesia, if a surgeon stimulates an emotional center of the brain, a person on the, on the table who is completely unconscious will either cry or smile. If he stimulates that chip of the brain, which is responsible for moving his arm, and he stimulates that with a little forceps, he will move his arm without knowing it. So that's how your brain is. It's really a computer chip. And everybody probably has same sorts of chips, but maybe different programming, but they're same sorts of chips. So, so mm -hmm. yes, your brain, there is a, a chip for stress in your brain. And if you look at my, my stress series, which I've prepared, I'm trying my best to help people understand that this stress that you feel in your body. And when you, like, how do you say I'm stressed? You say I'm stressed because you're feeling your heart's going really fast. You feel like an elephant sitting on your chest. You are breathing very fast. You feel tension in your muscles. You feel so upset and so tense and your consciousness is clouded. You can't see things clearly. You can't concentrate. And you know that something isn't right in my body. And then you say, oh my gosh, I just feel so stressed. You're angry, you're irritated, you're annoyed, you're yelling at your children. So why do you go in this state? The reason you go in this state is because this little chip in your brain has been stimulated, has been activated. And that little chip is what we call amygdala. Amygdala is that stress portion of your brain. And there's a reason God put this amygdala in your brain. And that's what I talk about in the stress management series. The reason he put this amygdala in your brain is because he wanted to protect you from the bad things on the planet. For well. example, you see like a bear in front of you. So this amygdala really gets stimulated and yeah. God wanted you to run away from them. Yeah, the kind of fight or flight response from... Like if a God forbid a tree falls on you, God didn't want you to just sit there and let the tree fall on you. He wanted you, right? He wanted your body to get all activated and heart going fast so that you could run and save yourself. So this is normal. This is a protective mechanism. So then why? Then why when everything is fine, there are no wild animals around you, nothing is falling on you, there is no lightning and storms happening, why do you still why does your amygdala still get activated? And you know why it gets activated? When there is really no threat? The reason it gets activated is because we humans sometimes perceive normal things as dangers. And those things are, one, if your child gets not an A grade and he gets a B grade, you see it as a threat. You feel like, I'm a terrible parent. I didn't do a good job. What am I going to tell my family that my child got a B grade? So you feel it as a danger. And it's like as if a tree is falling on you, right? But in reality, there is no tree falling on you. For God's sakes, your child just got a B grade. That's it. But we perceive it as end of the life, a threat and bad parents, terrible parents. And there you go. Your amygdala gets activated. 
and that your body prepares to either fight it or just run away from it up until you do a little self-talk and you tell yourself, hey, wait a minute, my child just got a B grade. I'm going to talk to my child. I'll figure it out. I'll help him. He'll do his own work. I'll get some tutoring. Maybe he'll improve on his grade. And that's when your amygdala quietens down and your amygdala says, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. No tree is falling. There is no bear. There is no lightning. The child just got a B grade. That's about it. And then that's when your body relaxes. But in order to do that self-talk, you have to first be aware of what happened. Why did my amygdala get activated? And that's a part of that mental health. And that is, again, being aware of what's going on, taking a little break and, uh, and thinking what is a real danger and what is just a false alarm, a, a perceived danger. So that's important for us. And sometimes we have to do years of therapy to get there. And that's mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely believe that there is a chip uh, for the stress in our brain. Now that you explained, I, I was a little skeptical, probably that could be the theory, but that's true. The way you put it again, in terms of uh, God created that for a reason. Um, this also reminds me of uh, in uh, uh, one of our meetings yesterday, being Friday, every end of the week, we have a meeting. Uh, and there's one of our team members who are supposed to share, his, uh, share their screen. And uh, they share the screen talking about uh, the changes in the resourceful guide. Uh, and I see Netflix uh, with a small shadow popping out. And like, I was so stressed. Whoa, this person is watching Netflix and share the screen. But again, on a resourceful guide, what if uh, the CEO sees the Netflix bar there? And um, that, that's also like stress at workplace when somebody shares something, again, when the CEO and the board is in the meeting is another thing um, that uh, thank, thankfully that um, notification bar of Netflix with a small shadow was there only for less than 10 seconds. But uh, I was under deep stress when I saw that because everybody was watching that, uh, the, watching the screen, talking about the change in colors on the resourceful guide. But thank you so much um, for sharing that Najman. Apart from the child perspective, um, achieving grades. We've seen so many, again, in clients or in clinicians, you might have seen so many examples uh, with terms of physician burnout. Yeah, Sneha, over to you. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, in our uh, conversation so far, it feels like, um, you know, uh, all you've spoken about is mental health, like that's in our control. Like we control our state of mental health. But uh, like, uh, the society around us affects us as well and societal like institutions in place affect our mindset as well uh, but on the flip side these same like uh, uh, institutions can help us like you know make our um, you know uh, better our lives better our mental health states so uh, yeah so in america like what is the what are the changes you would like to see in the mental health infrastructure well, listen, this is a wonderful question, Sneha. And again, I mean, as hard as this pandemic has been, as much of a devastation as it has caused, I think it has left us with some amazing life lessons. Some of the things that I'm seeing in America right now is like, wow, how did that happen? I am so happy that this is being done. And this was something that was not being done before the pandemic. What I see is so many organizations so, I mean, I know I can share with you like my own hospital system, my husband's hospital system. 
I know we used to have an employee assist, assistant program where there was probably like one counselor, and I'm not even sure if there was a psychiatrist, but after the pandemic, everything changed because there was so much of a burnout. There were nurses were getting affected. The doctors were getting affected. There was like a state of panic. And that was affecting the productivity of people. People were dying right and left. And there was a ton of trauma in the hospitals. The hospital um, um, leadership people actually did a great job. So they established, they quickly took over. They established these support groups. They hired new counselors. They activated their own behavioral health department. And they started providing free counseling options. They started, in fact, encouraging people, employees, doctors, nurses, come over to the support group. I mean, I remember I myself took an initiative and we found a support group for um, uh, not just the docs, the nurses, but even the, the staff on the front desk. And it was amazing. The amount of support that that support group gave them was, I mean, I can't even, I mean, I'm getting like little bit of goosebumps to explain that how gratifying it was people coming together, talking about their emotions, sharing their personal stuff, and how much it helped them not just to become strong teams, but function, become effective. And to a lot of extent, the stigma we had on the mental illness, I see it's substantially gone from this to this. People are speaking up. I mean, I can tell you about my husband. I'm just so proud of him that uh, recently he had an incident with one of his patients who unfortunately had a, you know untimely death. And my husband, I noticed that he and his team were getting affected that why couldn't we save a life? And I was so proud of him that he picked up the phone, he called the counseling center of his hospital, and he said, listen, we need to talk. So he, his fellows, and other members of the team actually spoke with the counselor. And the counselor gave them so gave them tips, like, you know, how to handle it, how to manage it. And they said, you're here, we're here for you, you can come, you can call us anytime. I think that is phenomenal. I don't think we would have ever gotten there had we not had a pandemic. And I'm not just seeing it in hospitals, I'm seeing it in IT companies and tech companies. You know how we're talking about emotional intelligence and all, I mean, emotional intelligence is mental health. It is about taking care of your feelings and your emotions. And I see tech companies are hiring consultants and counselors and coaches to teach uh, their employees emotional intelligence, which is basically to take care of your mental health. I, I think this is this is amazing. This is truly a breakthrough and for good. As much as we have, the, we're sending Teslas into the Mars, but I think we're also helping people to stay grounded on Earth, which is so important. So important. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, I think we need to do more of that, and we need to continue it even after the pandemic is over. But as a psychiatrist, I feel I feel happy. Thank you, uh, Dr. Najwin Riaz. In fact, okay, finally I was able to connect uh, to Facebook Live uh, again. Uh, this is our first Facebook Live through Zoom, but thank you for anybody watching out there. Do share in your comments, uh, do share in your feedback about Mental Health Awareness uh, Month. Uh, we are with Dr. Najwin Riaz um, on speaking about uh, how to handle mental health. It's not only uh, Awareness Month, but there is also an action towards it. We all know that we celebrated Mental Health Action Day on 20th of May. So Sneha, um, we are in a conversation uh, with uh, Dr. Najman Riaz on what it takes to uh, handle 
during this post-pandemic world. People, uh, there's lots of stress on vaccination. There's lots of stress on um, uh, how things are uh, shaping up, working at life, kids not going to school, the kind of stress which we all have in our lives. We were discussing about the stress in our uh, lives. Again, the kind of journey which uh, Dr. Najman Riaz had been through in the past for the last um, couple of decades. So over to you, Sneha. Please do share in your feedback in the comments. If you have any questions, please share that in the comments too. Uh, Sneha, over to you. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, on with our questions. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, since you were talking about, you know, uh, since you're talking about your husband finally feeling ready to open up, I feel like, do you feel that mental health is a gendered issue? Like, I understand that there's been a history of women being ignored and like women being misdiagnosed with mental health disorders. But like, I feel like women are at least we are allowed to be emotional, right? We are allowed to talk about it. We have like our sisters or your, our mothers or like, you know, our friends. But I feel like men do not have that outlet. Like, I feel like men should, men aren't in many cultures, like especially in India, uh, in our patriarchal cultures like us, men are supposed to be strong and emotionless. And they're not allowed to have that emotional outlet. Uh, and that, uh, so do you, how do you feel that, that has that changed? And what is the, uh, like, yeah, what, do you, what are your feelings around that? Again, you know, fantastic question, Sneha. You are so right. And let me be honest with you, as developed as countries like America, Europe, UK are, but I think we see a same trend. You know, mm. unfortunately, over the years, over the years, you know, we have had developed this mindset where men are taught to be like macho, meaning like they said, like, hey, you know, you are a strong man. You don't have, you can't express your emotions. You got to fix things. They're very concrete. And uh, I mean, this is a very common saying, even in America. I mean, it happens even now. In hey, boys don't cry. Yeah. Why? Well, well, wait a minute. Why would boys not cry? Do they not have eyes? Do they not have lacrimal glands? Do they not have an emotional center? No, they don't come with any different chips. They don't come with any different brain. Yes, there are subtle differences between how men think and women think, but they are same. They are same people. They are human beings. They have same emotions. They have same needs. But you are right because the culture has created the stereotyping. And as a result, a lot of our men are suffering. They are suffering in silence. And unfortunately, depression in men, a lot of times presents as anger. And you know why? Because men's anger is portrayed to be a sign of strength. That's what our movies do. I mean, maybe not now, but you know, in my childhood, all the Bollywood movies showed the angry young man. And in fact, I remember, you know, me as a little girl, even I used to fantasize my, my husband's going to be this angry young man. <laughs> But, but I'm glad he wasn't, and I'm thankful that he... But anyways, but you're right. So anger was the only acceptable emotion for the man. But in reality, that anger was a sign of depression. This poor man was suffering and struggling from inside, and it still happens in America and any other developed part of the world. And you're right when you said that, you know, women... Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, the difference between the mental health within women and men is that... No, women are not overdiagnosed, not at all. 
No. In fact, mental illness is still underdiagnosed. Many women with depression and anxiety are ignored and they are thought like, you know, they're just attention seekers. That's not true. That's not true. Women who ever go want some sort of attention are really struggling. But the good thing about the women is because, again, they're emotional beings and they share, they open their vulnerability. And also to a lot of extent, society has encouraged that. Right. You know how our Bollywood he- uh, actor actresses, you know, they can cry and they can, you know, do whatever. And that's all acceptable. Right. So. So, yeah. So that is all encouraged. And that actually helps them to express their emotions. And and that sort of makes them not prone to severe form of depression and anxiety. So they will come. They'll seek help. They'll go to a counselor. Not all. But as compared to men, more so. But men, unfortunately, are really struggling and suffering from inside, which leads to anger. That leads to trauma. And they become perpetrators of violence, meaning because they have underlying depression or mental health issues. And all they'll do, they'll beat their wives. They'll beat their children. Some of them will resort to substance because they don't like to feel sad and depressed and angry and miserable and alone from inside. So what do they have access to? What is, what is something that society has made acceptable? Alcohol, drugs. So they'll go ahead and they'll use that. And guess what? That further devastates them. So the mental illness is left on the side and they go on to the road of addiction. And then you know how that rips the families apart. So I think we as society should encourage. And I think I know things are changing in India. And I know a lot of people are coming out and speaking about their mental illness. I think it should be men should be encouraged right from the fact when they are little boys. And especially moms. It's a, it's a duty and a responsibility of moms. When your son comes home and cries, give him a hug. Let him cry and tell him I'm here for you. What's bothering you? You look upset. You look sad. Acknowledge his emotions and then help him, give him words to talk about what's making him upset, what's making him sad. I think that's very important. It's it's important that we need to acknowledge and respect all forms of emotions. You know how happiness is acceptable. Mommy is happy. Daddy is happy when the child is happy. Rota hai bacha, and I'm speaking in Hindi. You cry, you don't cry, you don't. So the poor kid goes like, okay, I, I can't be sad. I shouldn't be sad. But you're a human being for God's sakes. You will be sad when you are sad. After sadness, you feel happiness. You can't feel happiness if you don't feel other emotions. So yes, acknowledge your emotions. Allow your child to feel every sort of emotion and help him, give him words. I see you're angry. Beta, I see you're angry. Nachman, could you also uh, relate this to um, in terms of job search? Because there are lots of jo- uh, jobs which were lost in the pandemic. Lots of clinicians who are also uh, looking for part-time jobs, or per diem or locums, locum tenens. As we are at Directives, what we do is we connect clinicians to employers. We help uh, all the clinicians out there with the kind of uh, uh, AI job board which we have. We are a tech-enabled uh, staffing firm. So we help clinicians get, probably if they have a couple of more hours left during the week, we help them, uh, other hospitals fill those positions. So in terms of job search, how do we uh, correlate this? Because people are not getting the right kind of jobs. People are losing their jobs. 
there's no um, offices open, everybody's working from home, but uh, there are lots of cut down on the salaries or the kind of incentives which they would benefit from. How would we correlate this to that in terms of job search or in terms of staffing in healthcare? The kind of stress. I heard you correct, Raj. Are you saying like because of these layoffs and job losses, how is that causing stress in folks? Is that what? That's right. Like the way you correlated a child coming from school, expressing his emotions. Normally, uh, as a as an employee, as an employee uh, who had been fired or who had been uh, who had lost his work or who had lost whatever the uh, job which he had had hand, uh, the kind of stress which is there. Again, um, a child can express his emotions, but uh, there were great insights in which what you had shared, uh, because um, you mentioned like, okay, men, it's they suppress their uh, emotions and due to which that causes depression and they get to go for substance abuse and all that. But in terms of staffing, in terms of healthcare, uh, staffing and recruitment, are there any few instances, like are there any, uh, friends of yours or colleagues of yours who had been laid or who was uh, working on stress in terms of work? Oh, absolutely, Raj. I mean, you saw that pandemic created havoc. I mean, in fact, I'll tell you, like, you know, most of our clients that we used to see in clinics were, you know, people who were either on disability. But after the pandemic, we saw an enormous raise in people like you and me, people who had jobs and were laid off. So now not only were they worried about their health, but they were worried about their finances. Because, and I can understand Raj, like for, especially for men, you know, who tend to establish their identity with their jobs. So once there was a job loss, a pay cut, a layoff, I mean, you can imagine how devastating that must have been for many folks. I mean, women, more so for men who are like in countries like India, the only breadwinners. So it probably must to them have felt like end of their existence. And then they come home and, uh, and then if they don't have support at home, I mean, can you imagine the level of stress, the level of anxiety, the level of depression, the level of failure that, that particular person must be feeling. And if you don't have support at home, what is this person going to do? I can only imagine. I mean, I know in America, we saw that there was definitely a rise in alcoholism. People who went through these financial difficulties, job losses, did resort to drinking. I mean, some of the good ones or some of the ones who wanted to, you know, use healthier coping mechanisms did go talk to a counselor, seek sought counseling and with the help of counseling and coaching some of them were able to create new things for themselves and actually that's what pandemic did is it just brought this flood of creativity and entrepreneurs um, people started finding different outlets different ways to make jobs and in fact the online thing the the internet became the source of income for many folks yeah the teletherapy and remote therapy yeah that or or whatever new businesses popped up you know I mean, you can hear like people started who were working in, in tech fields and healthcare. They started opening businesses. You know, they had hobbies and they started making hobbies into their jobs. But not a huge group of people have that much strength and courage. There are still some who struggled enormously. And again, it was very important for them to seek help. And thank God, you know, now things are getting good on this side. But I, for people with India and all, I just want to give them hope. 
Because remember, everything ends. I know this is very hard time for everybody. You're losing your loved ones, your jobs, but guess what? Just hold on there for a little bit longer. Be patient. Try your best to do whatever you can for you during your day. This will end, just like it's ending here. The vaccines or whatever you know you're you're doing, it will end, and, and the day will come that will come out of it much stronger, much resilient. So you just yeah. have to be patient. Thank you, Najman. Since we're all at home and we not everyone has access to therapy or uh, or you know mental health care, what can people do at home to deal with mental health issues? Like, uh, are there any tips and tricks or you know like uh, meditation or some you know things like that? How can we treat ourselves in absence of medication or uh, professional help? That's a that's a great question, Sneha, <laughs> and I and I'm happy you're asking me this because I always want to share with folks and give them some tools that they can have to not just survive but thrive. Things like a pandemic. So yes, there are lots of things you can do, and it all depends on how severe your stress is, your anxiety is. So some of the simple things that we can do, like very simple things, is to take it a day at a time. Try to stay in the moment. You know, if we start worrying, like if, say, for example, today I am home under the lockdown. If I worry, <laughs> oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? What if my father gets sick? What if my mom catches a virus? What if my child catches? What if I lose my job? What if this happens? Then guess what? It's all going to, we call it snowballing. Our anxiety is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and we won't be able to function. So keep it simple. Stay in the moment. And when I mean stay in the moment, just think of today, just today. Just say, okay, what am I going to do now? Right now, I'm going to go make myself a cup of tea. Right now, I know I don't have a virus. Right now, I'm going to go watch some TV. Right now, I'm going to go make some pakoras for myself, okay? So stay in the moment. And the max you can do is like structure your day, you know, keep a routine, say, all right, you know, maybe I'll do prayer two times a day. Maybe right now I'm feeling a little bit anxious. Maybe I'm just going to go sit with myself in a quiet room and do some meditation. And again, you know, I know meditation is this big term and you don't have to sit like a Buddha to do a meditation. You can just, just sit by the window and just watch outside. Just watch the traffic go watch the birds, watch the grass, watch the sky, or you can listen to some music, whatever kind of music is it. You can even sit on a couch and watch a Netflix movie, for God's sakes. Even these very simple little things. And when the day is over, at the end of the day, before you go to bed, thank your Almighty, your Bhagwan, your Allah, whoever you believe, thank your Almighty that today you were okay. And if you're okay, if your family is okay, thank God for that. So be grateful for very little things. Be grateful for a home you have, water you drink, a meal you have. So what I'm trying to say is, I mean, I know it sounds like philosophical, but trust me, if you do these very simple and little things, mm -hmm. notice the days will go, weeks will go, months will go, a time will come, this pandemic will be over, you'll be safe, you'll go back to a normal life. And lastly, 
please take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Shower on time. Change mm-hmm. into some nice clothing, even if you're staying home. Yeah, the self-compassion, yeah. Absolutely. And don't be hard on yourself, please. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't push yourself into, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, my gosh, this is the end of the world. Absolutely not. Just like you're kind to everyone else, please be kind mm-hmm. to yourself. Forgive yourself more than you forgive mm-hmm. others. So, so again, showing that self-compassion, self-care, and yes, if you can incorporate a little bit of exercise, you don't have to go to the gym. Just a little walk in a living room. Very simple things. You know, more, more important, play with your child. How about that? If you have a child, just play with it like a game of carom board or watch a little show with your child. The pleasure and happiness that you'll get, trust me, is way more than you will get going on a vacation to Disney at least during the time of the pandemic. So keep it simple and be grateful. So that, that's the advice I have. Yeah. So, yeah, so now that we're talking about self-care, uh, it's like, what, what can we do for self-care? That, that, those are like simple things. Like you mentioned keeping it simple, yes. So, but in today's world, self-care, like in this capitalistic, hyper-consumerist world, like self-care has been... It's like linked to all these luxurious items and like, you know, if you don't have all these luxurious items, you're not really doing self-care, right, are you? And like, it's like, it's you, like, especially with Instagram and all that, like, everybody's like posting all these, you don't really need those things, but it's like they market as necessities. So how do you like get past all that? And how do we break free from that consumerist, you know, mindset? Yeah. Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I know I see my colleagues and I see my friends and and they see these Instagram videos and they're like, oh my gosh, a friend of mine just lost 100 100 pounds. How did she do that? How is she eating this keto diet? And then everyone's going crazy on this TikTok. So listen, of course, self-care is very important. And when we mean self-care, we kind of talk more about like a physical care. Meaning, um, you know, waking up on time, taking a shower, wearing clothes, exercising, drinking, eating on time, giving yourself a little break. That's all good. I want to give you guys a little bit of a recognition of going a little deeper. Mm-hmm. And that little deeper is self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And the most important part of self-compassion is to be able to set healthy boundaries for yourself and for others around you. So, and here is the thing. So whenever you notice that you are going into this vicious, toxic cycle of getting not just inspired by these social media posts and Instagram or whatever, but also worrying and comparing yourself to them and saying, my gosh, if she can do it, why can't I do it? How come he is doing, she is doing, and I'm not? There you go. That's when you need to put a full stop and stop looking at those social media posts. Stop looking at that Instagram and stop even commenting. Don't comment. No, because you're not there. You're not ready. And again, be kind to yourself. Don't push yourselves too hard. Don't be unkind. Don't don't beat yourself for not being as thin as this woman, not as beautiful as this woman, not having a how house as good as your friend, a good car as good as, nope, that is um, your challenge. 
put a stop right there and then and put up a healthy boundary for you and between others. Get, get off of that WhatsApp group that is causing you and making you feel you're less than. Because no one is less than. No one. Your journey is separate than other person's journey. You are your own person. Be self-aware. Find who you truly are. What is it that gives you happiness? By becoming thin, is that what it gives you happiness? And what is it about becoming thin that gives you happiness? So that you can, you can go to a party and wear, or, or because you want to be healthy. If you want to lose weight because you want to be healthy, that's all good. That's your journey. There is no need for you to, there is no comparison, none whatsoever. So again, put that boundary on yourself and hang out with people who you feel emotionally connected with, who give you a feeling that you are good enough. If you can have that connection, if you can have those groups, then guess what? You're in a good place. So that's yeah. important. So like we, you were talking about groups, right? And like uh, we are social animals, but in an individualistic culture like America, like how do people like, are, are they like rediscovering how important community is? Because in India, like community is, family is like so important. But in America, it's not the same, I feel. Like as long as I've seen in media and stuff. So like, are they rediscovering the need, the importance of family and community? Yeah, so, so right, Sneha. Again, this is, this is a silver lining to this pandemic. This pandemic taught us, I mean, people in modern cultures, who unfortunately did not value friendships, connections, <clears throat> connections and family. We didn't value it because we were just so busy having fun. We had, we wanted nothing to do with our neighbors. We, we don't care who's in the neighborhood. We don't because we are so busy. We have jobs. We have to go on vacations. We have to go on dinners. But the pandemic put a stop on that. And, you know, I, I can give you a, uh, an example, my own example, when pandemic happened and we were all under lockdown, all of a sudden we felt this need to connect with our neighbors. And one day we all came out in our front porch and you'll be surprised, we've been living here for like 15 years. We did not know people down two homes. And I felt, I felt embarrassed that I'd never got a chance to reach out to my neighbor who is just two homes down my the lane I which live in. And the pandemic was the first time that I ever connected with that neighbor. I think, as I said, I mean, this taught us all a huge lesson. The fact that in America, children could not see their elderly parents in nursing home, that was a huge thing. And, and then Amazing things happened. Amazing the, how the how children found out um, different ways to go and connect with their older uh, parents. They gave um, uh, iPads, and uh, you know they would go out and make signs and and stand outside the nursing homes and and tell them how much they love them. So yeah, so that gave us a, a huge um, reflection and and it literally shook us and showed us that how important social connections are. They're truly important. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of going off the topic here, but I want to share this. I, I'm reading a book by, by this Dr. Sanjay Gupta. I'm sure you know this, and it's called Keep Sharp. And it's about, you know, uh, dementia and how to keep your brain alive. 
And I was amazed to hear, and I always thought that one of the ways to prevent Alzheimer's is by doing crossword puzzles. I thought that you have to keep your brain active. But he shows an amazing research and says, yeah, you can do a crossword puzzle, but more important, if you can go and pick a phone and talk to your friend, that actually prevents Alzheimer's. Mm. I was amazed at that. So, um, so yes, I think people in India are lucky and blessed or even in other countries that we have this amazing social connection. And I know right now it's a pandemic and, um, you know, being, and there are so many people cooped up in one home. And I know it's unfortunately making more people, you know, the virus to spread, but, uh, and we have to do our best to maintain that social distance. But I think at the end of the day, um, we being able to be there for each other, this is a pure, pure blessings. That's what human beings were created. A human being is a caveman. You were created to be in a community, but the modernization, modernization prevented us and just gave us egos and made, made us become solo. Leave me alone. I am busy, but the social connection is so important if we have to thrive. So, so yes. Another fact is like on social media, people are not social uh, because of our busy lives, which you, you mentioned again, it's a, it's a uh, altogether a different story when it comes to teens. Again, uh, all the users who are on Snapchat or all the other tools where we don't spend most of our time uh, beta modo or it's like uh, facebook we know the world of facebook youtube linkedin whatsapp but for children i i see both my kids um nine and ten year old they're on roblox where all the other children play games live but it's altogether a different world uh, things there's uh, there's so many things which which we can speak about but uh, thank you for sharing the insights. Uh, again, sharing stories from your personal lives also, um, uh, Najman. Yes, Neha. Yeah, uh, so, um, so we've spoken so much, like how are there uh, any tools like we can use to, you know, better our mental health? Like, uh, yeah, any tools, mental tools that we can use to help better our mental health? Definitely social media is not one of the tools, I should say, because it's increasing or accelerating our mental health, uh, comparing ourselves, but we would love to hear it from you. Uh, prayer is one among them, like the way you shared your story from childhood, but uh, we'll, we'll wait to hear from you, uh, Najman. What are the mental health tools? Even I need them. Um, I've been through lots of things in the last 30 days, uh, so do let us do let us know. Yeah, that's totally Raj and Sneha. Listen, we're all human beings. We all have a mind. So whoever has a mind, which means all of us, need tools to maintain a proper mental health. So I think if there is one thing um, that I really want to lay stress, and that is um, look at the bigger picture. Whenever we go in a state of frenzy, anxiety, stress, look at the bigger picture. And when I mean look at the bigger picture, I, again, I mean, be mindful. You know, you hear mindfulness, mindfulness. So now I'm going to take a course on mindfulness and all. And that's all wonderful. But for me, mindfulness means to, again, you know, stay in the moment and just be aware and reflect on what you have, how grateful you are, and look at the bigger picture. So again, 
in the bigger picture, if unfortunately you lost your job, when you look at the bigger picture, you see, I know my job is very important for me. And I know right now I don't have it. But what is it that I have? I still have a loving family. I still have a home that I can go to. I still have food that I can eat. I still have a friend that I can talk to. And guess what? I'm still capable. I can go and find another job. It may take me a month. It may take me two months. Right now, I'll figure it out. I'll go have some savings. I'll maybe go ask for some loan from the bank or ask for some financial help from a friend. But I will be okay. It reminds me of uh, resilience from your blogs, which I read. In fact, uh, from drnajmanriaz.com. This reminded me of a resilience factor. So it's like appreciate self, uh, what will bounce you back. So thank you. Uh, please, please continue, Najman. Absolutely, Raj. Listen, I am a strong believer. I mean, I come from trauma. I mean, I've seen terrible things happen. I mean, I have seen, I have, I have witnessed, I mean, because of the, all the conflict in Kashmir, I have come very close to literally losing my life. Like when we used to go wait for school buses and all of a sudden the, a bomb would explode in front of us. And we were not sure if we would actually come home alive. So because we have seen the worst of the worst, so much of trauma, that sometimes helps me become more grateful of a person. And I sometimes go like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, the worst thing that will happen is we'll die, right? And everyone has to die one day. And so, so what I'm trying to say is when we are mindful, when we see a bigger picture, it just helps us. It just helps us handle things better. Uh, so that is to me mindfulness. I'm also a very strong believer of prayer. You know why? Because, you know, as psychiatrists, we've studied the human brain. And yeah. we know. And we know that at the end of the day, we are only like little specks. I mean, if you look at the big universe, like look at the universe. And in this universe, can you spot Earth? Earth is this little speck. And inside this little speck are we human beings. I mean, imagine how small and tiny we are. And yet our worries are bigger than the universe. So if you kind of look at that bigger picture, I doubt you'll be, I doubt you'll get anxious and stressed out when, you know, the Zoom link doesn't work. Although we will, you know, let's be honest, we'll be human beings. But when my Zoom links don't work and I go like, wait a minute, I'm this little speck in the universe and my Zoom link isn't working. Who cares? You know what I'm saying? So, so by doing this, we are, again, trying to remove that, that weight on us. We're trying to remove the stress on us. And, and it just makes things easier. Gratitude, practice gratitude. Again, be grateful. And when I mean grateful, if you have children, enjoy them for God's sakes. Today, today is what you have. Um, you, you know, when I say play a little game with your child, that is the effect of that is like more than 100 antidepressants, honestly. So, so these little things, and as I said in the prayer, because we're, 
we're, as humans, we're in control of very little things, very little things. So when you are not in control of things, go ahead and pray, whatever that form of prayer is, whether that's meditation or whether, you know, you pray in front of a Bhagavan or you do a, a prayer as a Muslim, try to incorporate that. And I'm a real big fan of that. And, and other than that, again, just be kind to yourself. Don't, um, don't push yourself for making mistakes, mistakes. Consider mistakes and failures as opportunities. You will be amazed to see that it's the mistakes you make. It's the failures that you have that actually help you grow, that actually yeah. show, show you how capable you are. Because when things are okay, 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 you don't know what's your capability. It's only when you fail, that's when you find your true power, your true capability. Uh, so yeah, be, be flexible, be open-minded, uh, you know, express your emotions and don't care what others think. Yeah, that's one thing I wish I could tell my, my fellow Indians, don't care what others think. Just be yourself. I know it's very hard. Whatever mm -hmm. boss, as in, uh, I have uh, uh, listing out the things again. Uh, the one question which I have, Najmani, is like, what if I'm an atheist? But I'll come to that. So being mindful, prayer, being kind to self, attitude of gratitude. So I'm just trying to list down all the things which you mentioned, uh, because this could be an awesome uh, short social media story bite. Uh, so going through the things, what if I'm an atheist? What if I don't believe in prayers? Well, then believe in yourself. What if I'm not kind to myself? Because um, I know lots of uh, data analysts, the people who work not only in healthcare staffing and recruitment, all they care is numbers, all they care is uh, the Excel data sheets. But as a psychiatrist, as you know, some people don't afford therapy. Some people can't afford counseling. That's when they miss out on great insights like this. So um, I completely agree with what you mentioned, being kind to self, but where should the breakthrough come? Like uh, definitely maybe it's more of they talking or uh, being a therapist or a counselor, probably a doctor like you who would listen to them or uh, where would the breakthrough happen? See Raj, this is what I believe. I'm, I'm a firm believer that every human being has come on this earth with a purpose. Every human being has come on this earth with a purpose. Okay. No one, no one can tell him what that purpose is. You don't know my purpose. I don't know your purpose. The only person who knows your purpose is you. That's it. So you are a mystery in itself. Now, here's the deal. Like Raj may choose to find his purpose. He may say, hey, no, if I came on this earth, or, or I mean, whoever, like maybe I was created or whatever, I want to find my purpose. That's fine. Then go find it. And you will find it. If you have a conviction, then you will find it. You'll go, you'll do some Google search, you will read, you will meditate, you'll go on the cave, you'll go volunteer. You will do whatever you have to do to find the purpose. You know why? Because you want to. And Najmun came on this world with some purpose, but guess what? Najmun doesn't care. She doesn't want to find her purpose. She was born, she lived, and she'll die. And that's it. 
and then whatever legacy she leaves, she leaves. But that's her journey. And that's okay. You can't, you're not responsible. You can't force Najmun to find her purpose, can you? No. She doesn't care. She doesn't want to find her purpose, and that's her thing. <laughs> so I may just live on this life, a miserable life, and and not know why, why the hell I'm here, and, and that's my journey. But Raj wants to know his purpose. So, listen, at the end of the day, Raj, everything is okay. Because this is a journey from birth to death. Whoever wants to do whatever with this journey is their, their baby. It's their problem, their choice. We are only in control of us, period. Yeah, most of us find our purpose through whatever the passion which we have, but thank you. Thank you, Najman. Uh, Sneha, over to you. Yes, um, I, I fear I've run out of questions for today, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I mean, we've covered such a breadth of questions. It's lovely. Like, I, we did all the clinical side of things, but we did all the philosophical side of things. I really like how this conversation about it's really nice i really like the question raj asked about being atheist because yeah i mean i feel like we need to other tools other than prayer and like yeah other for people who aren't religiously inclined so that was a nice inclusion so yes uh raj over to, to you if you okay. have any questions yeah so uh, probably we'll end this in a couple of more minutes again thank you so much um uh, Dr. Uh, Najman Riaz, uh, for sharing your valuable time with uh, our audience, uh, with our set of clinicians. Uh, we will definitely put it uh, in uh, one of our newsletters and send it across as a link. I'll also share the recordings with you. You can also watch this um, on Google Podcasts, Apple, Apple Podcasts. I'll share you the recordings. So before I jump into the last set of questions, probably we can call it like a quick fireside chat are a quick fun chat, uh, um, uh, Najman. So you can just give one word answers or something, which is again, as per the list, which I've already uh, sent you. So if, if uh, healthcare, or if you are not supposed to be uh, a physician, what would you be? What is the other profession would you choose? Yeah, that's a good one. Because <laughs> uh, as I said, you know, as long as I, kind of gained consciousness. I remember always wanting to be uh, a doctor. However, as I raised my children, uh, I really love being a teacher. <laughs> and if I, if I had a choice, I'd, I'd like to be like an elementary school teacher. I, I love to, you know. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. That's beautiful. So um, in case, uh, if there's one thing which you have, which you had known, if you wish you had known at the beginning of your career, being a psychiatrist, what is that one thing you wish you had known? Um, yeah, so when I began psychiatry, I thought that psychiatry basically means treating mental illnesses. But as I you know, started talking to people, I noticed that psychiatry is way more than, um, than you know, mental illness, treating mental illness or knowing about mental illness. I think psychiatrists can really be a confidant. Uh, a psychiatrist has a potential to be that good listener to a client and be, be his support person 
a psychiatrist can be a coach, which I did not know. Because, you know, in our profession, we usually don't give advice. You know, it's always about listening and, and you know, basically just talking about the illness and giving medications. But throughout my practice, and I'm thankful for my patients who taught me that, uh, that, you know, to be able to establish that connection and learn more about a human behavior and, and coach them and, um, and, and be their confidants. I think that's something... Uh, I did not know that we psychiatrists have an ability to do that. So, so I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Okay. And are there any great resources or um, that helped you become uh, this? Uh, I mean, with respect to this particular journey, or are there any resources would you like to share with a young psychiatrist or somebody who wants to become um, a licensed counselor, or probably somebody who is you know, getting their space into the world of becoming a therapist. Uh, are there any resources which had helped you, which you would like to share? Um, yeah, it, it all depends on you know what your niche is. Um, I mean, if you want to be a counselor or therapist, um, I guess you know just again do some Google search and and find some programs out there. But first, again, do a little self talk as to why you want to be a counselor, and I'm. Um, most likely it's because you want to help people. I mean, I can tell you in my journey, I think, Raj, one of the things that really helped me the most, not only through my profession, but even in my personal life, was going into therapy myself. There have been moments in my life when I had challenges in my personal life, like be it the loss of my dad or, you know, just raising teenage children in a different culture because I was raised in India and all. So I uh, approached counselors and, you know, and being in therapy has really helped me become who I am, helped me with my self-awareness, helped me with my emotional regulation, because coming from a trauma red area sometimes makes our emotions, you know, we can really go on a scale of one to 10, like up and down. So uh, for my own emotional regulation to manage my own anxiety, my own stress, I think counseling is something that really helped me enormously. Uh, through our supervision, we are, um, we have, uh, you know, doctors and, and counselors who help us to handle our own emotions. And I think that's one of the best part of the psychiatry. So, you know, when you talk about resources, I mean, if I would say, uh, if anybody can, if anybody can afford and has an access to a counselor, please go see one. It's a misnomer. You, you don't see a counselor because you're crazy. I, I don't like to use this word, but that's not true. You go into counseling to find yourself, to know who you are. What are your limitations? What are your strengths to grow? That's why you go into counseling. So if, yeah. if you can, I would, I would highly recommend you do that. But the rest, yeah, there are so many books. I mean, I go to websites, Brene Brown. I, I mean, there are some resources if you go on my website. And yeah. those are like, those are like I, I really look up to them and they inspire me. There's some amazing materials. If you guys want to go check it out, it, it's some great stuff out there. So, yeah. Don't yeah. Worry. So, yeah, this would be this would be the last question for the day. So uh, I would request everybody go to uh, Dr. Let me share the screen as well. Um, so this would be the last question, uh, Najman. So who are the most three influential people in your life, apart from family members? Are you sure? Because my family is my most influential. Yeah, every, everybody says, I mean, most of our guests, with the kind of things which you mentioned, because 
people are the society considers there's a lots of stigma around uh, having therapy or counseling and um, most of the clinicians whom we speak to most of the speakers whom we speak to in the healthcare world we had amazing guests from Harvard Medical School as well in the past with directive stories. Again, it's a great honor you accepting our invite to be here. Uh, when we speak about the most influential people, everybody's, we had the experience of bringing the family members, which is true. Definitely, uh, our parents are the ultimate uh, God, be it mom, dad, or be it our children. Uh, we just wanted to hear uh, something different. Hey, well, um you know, if you would have asked me this question a few years ago, <laughs> I would name some, um, you know, influential people, some politicians, some leaders. Uh, but over the years, Raj, I've noticed something. I've noticed that, you know, we all, we human beings are very imperfect. And yes, there are people who inspire us, but they're also human at the end of the day. And unfortunately, there are people who I have looked up to but in later years, they have re revealed their weaknesses. And then I go like, well, wait a minute, this person was my hero and now he's not. So that has given me a sense that, you know, we all humans are imperfect. We have some areas which we can really be great at. We can thrive and we can set great examples. And yet we have weaknesses. We have certain areas that we're not very proud of. So I, so I wish I could tell you, and I, I mean, I can say that I am inspired by certain people's journey. I can say that, like, uh, like I'm, I'm really, in, and I'm inspired by uh, Barack Obama's journey. I'm really inspired, like as a single, um, you know, as a multi, in a, growing up in a multiracial family with a single mom, dad absent. I can imagine how much of a conflicts that person must have had internally, but how, I mean, I've read his books, but how through um, self-awareness and, and through growth and reflection and courage, he actually became what he is now. So I really am inspired by his journey, if that's what you mean. I'm really inspired by journey of Brene Brown. And again, you know, we can, I mean, many people, most of the people know Brene Brown. I'm really inspired by her journey, how she overcame alcoholism and wow. through research and through research found this found this amazing concept of vulnerability. Even that sort of, uh, you know, that, that gave me so much of new insights, like how, you know, how we are taught, like, oh, you, you should not tell your problems to anyone. You should not share that you, you have this weakness. But she, through her research says, that by sharing your vulnerability, you are actually making better human connections. You are becoming more courageous and there's a higher chance of you to become more successful. So I'm really inspired by her journey and I'm really inspired by Dan Gottlieb. I don't think you guys know him, but Dan Gottlieb, is a, he's an American psychologist and he runs a program on the radio, he used to, he's a psychologist who has had a, uh, he's a paraplegic. He had an accident, unfortunately, and his spinal cord got injured and he's paralyzed neck down. And he shares his journey that how by cutting down his ego, he actually became successful because that's when he became successful. He is one of the best psychologists in America. And there is some of the resources. He's an amazing human being. 
and I'm blessed that I got a chance to even see him one day. And, and uh, but there is so much I have learned from him about the human side of every person. Lastly, I am very inspired and very thankful to my patients. My patients teach me some amazing things about life. I would never have been who I am today had it not been for my patients. So my patients yeah. inspire me, every single one of them. Okay, with the last point, uh, you again, reminded me of uh, Jeff Bezos, who speaks about uh, his clients or his customers, um, all the Amazon customers, there's always an empty chair in the boardroom. And that chair is always represents the customers or the clients who are using Amazon as a product. But thank you so much. We are all grateful for our clients. Our, um, be, when it, being a doctor, again, beat your patients. But thank you so much, uh, Najman. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sneha. Uh, so uh, is there anything else which you'd like to share before we end this live? Um well, not really. I mean, thank you so much, Sneha. Thank you, Raj. I appreciate this. Listen, I um, when you guys said that you were going to do this, I thought most of this was COVID related. I just want to share with my human fellows in India who are right now struggling. And I just want to tell you that our prayers are with you. Our, our heart goes out to you. We pray that this, um, this virus is contained. Um, so again, please, you know, take care of yourself. Take care of your families. This is hard time. Be patient. Take all precautions that you can and please get vaccinated. That's the only way to get rid of the virus. And I can assure you, we in America went through horrible times. My family members got COVID. I got COVID myself. And thank God I survived. My family oh. survived. But I know it's a hard time. But please keep up that hope and uh, rest. We'll all pray that this may this end and may everyone go back to their normal lives. Yeah, so. thank you. Thank you, Dr. Najman. Yes, thank you for sharing that. In fact, there's this fear which is crippling our uh, growth thoughts, again, the way we look at life. But thank you for sharing that. Again, being vulnerable is something which I'll also get used to it. Uh, thank you for sharing the insights. And uh, uh, for all the listeners, if you are watching the replay or if you're watching the social media, I do share in your feedback. We'll wait to hear it from you. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Raj. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Sneha.